in life. Do things just happen? Or, or is, there, is there someone else involved? Is there a purpose for what we go through? In 1986, a songwriter by the name of Tony Arada, he just simply went to the movies with his wife. And he got home, and that next day, within 30 minutes, he wrote a song. And he took that song to a place called the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, which is where he lived nearby. And I don't know if you know anything about the Bluebird Cafe, but the Bluebird Cafe is where singers and songwriters, they go and, and they perform the songs that they have written, and it's just a really neat place. So little did he know that evening as he performed that song that he had just written that there was an up-and-coming artist that was there. And that artist says, he says, I don't remember the other two songs that Tony sung that night, but I remember that one. And he went up to him afterwards and he said, it, when I get a record deal, not if, he said, when I get a record deal, I'm going to record that song. Three years go by. Tony gets invited into the office of this executive to, to listen to the final product. And as they're going through the songs on the CD, he's counting them off, five, six, seven. He's like, oh man, my song didn't make the cut. And they get to the last song and this intro begins and he's like, oh man, it didn't make it on. But little did he know the intro had changed, but then there he had the song that he had written that was performed by Garth Brooks. And the name of that song was called The Dance. It, what's interesting is I looked that up, right? I mean, he, here's a guy who just simply went to the movies with his wife. He went home and he was touched by that movie and he began to just pour out his heart and he wrote this beautiful song which Garth Brooks got a hold of, was on his first album, and, and I looked up yesterday how much is Garth Brooks worth. He's only worth $400 million, right? So that's not a bad person to be associated with, right? <laughs> but as we think about this morning, just is there, when things happen in our lives, is there a purpose? And is there someone else involved? As we go through this study of Ruth, we find ourselves this morning in Ruth chapter 2. So if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn there. It's the eighth book of the Bible, the third book of history. As you turn there this morning, remember as we opened this series of the study of the book of Ruth, we talked about how there was that lead. Those first five verses were the lead, kind of like a paragraph in a newspaper, to where it's kind of setting the tenor and the tone of what's going on. And then last week we saw where Naomi and Ruth, their, their husbands die, their sons die, so they find themselves at this crossroads and there's a literal turning point. So Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem. So let's look this morning in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're simply going to look at three verses this morning. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go 
to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your holy and blessed word. Lord, help us to see the beautiful, beautiful picture within these few verses. Lord, help us to not only see it, but help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to lodge it in our hearts, in our minds, for days to come. Lord, to realize that you have a purpose for our lives. Father, we ask that you move now in a way that only you can. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so as we begin this study of chapter 2, let's just take a pause and talk about what? The importance of names. First, remember that Naomi's name meant beauty. Sorry, Naomi's name meant pleasant. Ruth's name means beauty. What's interesting about names is I'm appreciative this morning that Miss Terry came up to me and she said, listen, you know, you talked about names and you talked about what names meant. And she, I had to pick up the phone and have a conversation with my mother and say, why was I named Terry? And so she began to tell me this story that I guess there was an author at the time and, and her mother said, you know, whether you had been a boy or a girl, your name would be Terry. Just we might change the uh, spelling up a little bit. And so then she began to look, what is it, what does her name mean biblically? And it means gatherer. And so what was interesting, even that brief conversation right up here this morning, she just said, you know, I have, praise God. I got, she said, I got chill bumps as I read and, and I, and I studied that. And it was, and, and what she said was, I grew in to my name. Do you know what your name means? This morning we see the third character that we will see in this story. In the book of Ruth, we see Boaz. Boaz's name means strength. What does verse 1 tell us? It says that he is a worthy man, that he is a mighty man of wealth, and that he was the, of the clan of Elimelech. You see, later as we, go, as we began to unpack this, you will see the importance of who Boaz is, that he is our kingsman redeemer. Boaz is a picture or a type of Christ. What does that mean to be a type or a picture of Christ? It means that Boaz represents that his behaviors correspond with the character and actions that we see of Jesus in the New Testament. It's a beautiful picture. I hope that you see that the New Testament and Old Testament are interwoven. You can't have one without the other. People say that we're a New Testament church and, and that we no longer need the Old Testament. That's not true. There is truth to be applied from both. And they're interlocked. And as we go through time and as we go through studying God's Word, I hope that you see that. Boaz is a picture. He is a type of Christ. And we'll see more of why that matters in the remaining of chapter 2 and on into chapter 3 and 4. So our names are important. Now, as I was studying this, I, I, I'm thankful because like I would just roll on on chapter 2 and I began to study and, and, and J. Vernon McGee 
I was reading some of his material and he just, he started talking about one particular topic. And I said, you know what? Like, no, I, we need to sit down there. We need to sit down in these few verses. And so as I also began to study, I want you to see before we look at that, that, that pivotal point of these passages, where's the power in the text? I will show you, I'll show you where that is, but let's think of, I want you to see first two about Naomi. Naomi in this current condition, what? She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. They've returned to Bethlehem. She's returning to a land in which she knows. But as one commentator said, she very likely was depressed. And so as, as Ruth says, I'm going to go out and go, had she maybe been, had Naomi maybe been in her right mind, it was a dangerous place for Ruth to be. She was a foreigner, not in her native land. And that was dangerous because she could have been taken advantage of. And so we see that in Naomi's life. But then Ruth is not too far from her, that they're both widows. And what's beautiful about this picture is that Naomi says, let me go. She doesn't look at Naomi and say, hey, Naomi, what do you got for me? How are you going to provide for me? How are we going? How are you going to make ends meet for us? But she says, "What? Let me go." I think Austin said it beautifully this morning. If fear dictates, God's will will never be done. I don't think I could have said it any better. Maybe he should have preached this morning's message because I was like, God, how do I encapsulate what you're, what you want us to see in a nugget of wisdom? If fear dictates, God's will will never be done. I, I praise God for Pastor Austin. He didn't know exactly what I was preaching on. We didn't talk about that before we got here this morning. He didn't know the subject of my message. But Ruth says, let me go to the field and glean. Glean, what does it mean to glean? It means to gather. It, it means to, to gather what was left over by the reapers. I want you to look with me really quickly as, and it's a beautiful story here of, of, of truths that are shared previously in God's word. Turn with me back to the book of Leviticus. So Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, I want you to look with me in verse 9 and 10. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So we see a biblical practice playing out here. We, we read these verses sometimes in Scripture and we miss the bigger picture. Oh, she gleaned. But she was able to glean because people were honoring God's word. They were honoring the Mosaic Law. Now look with me in the book of Deuteronomy. Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 24 in verse 19. 
I love to hear the pages of God's word turned. Amen. The spirit, I mean, the spirit of God moves within our hearts and minds, but you don't hear that necessarily in the second service, right? People got iPads and phones and everything. You don't hear those. You might hear some clicks, but you don't hear those wonderful pages of God's word being turned. Amen. It's a precious, precious sound. Deuteronomy chapter 24, look with me at verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Listen, it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. She was able to glean because Boaz was honoring the Mosaic law. You know, the world we live in today, they don't leave, they don't, they don't leave any crumbs for anybody, do they? It's all for me. I'm not going to leave anything left. It's grab it while you can get it. <clears throat> but we see a beautiful picture here that because Boaz was honoring the Mosaic law, that, that Naomi and Ruth were able to provide for themselves and that she was to go. And that she was to glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, and she said to her, Naomi, go my daughter. So she, Ruth, went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now here's where the, here's where I want us to sit down for a few minutes this morning. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Friends, things in our life don't just happen. In the life of a believer, there is no such thing as happenstance. God is bringing people into our lives and taking us places so that His plan can unfold. As I began to study this, you know, as we look for God's will and we say, God, what is your will for my life? We, we want a, we want a green sign. We want a sign if, if we were to go like Naomi and, and we were to go out and say, God, I'm going to go. I'm trusting you. As Austin said, if fear dictates, God's will will not be done. We have to step out into the fear, out into the unknown, trusting an all knowing God. But as we go and we're trying to discern God's will, what's beautiful about this is Naomi didn't know the fields weren't marked. How did she wind up in Boaz's field? I'd submit to you this morning that it is no accident. The, the root word here is, as the King James says, that it was by hap. It's accident or chance. And, and friends, there's no happenstance in the life of a believer. As we look at this story, this is a story that was told throughout Time that was eventually written down. And I think it's a beautiful picture to remind us that things in our lives don't just happen. As we're looking for God's will, like Naomi, we want to walk and we want God to put a sign that says, stop here with an arrow. We want God to put a green light or, or a red light, like go, stop. But we don't have that. We have to step out in faith and we have to trust the Lord. And so that brings us to the question this morning, how can we know God's will? How can we know God's will for our lives? In church, 
How can we know God's will for Bethel Baptist Church? Is it to keep doing the same things that you've always done? Expecting different results? Yesterday broke my heart. I ran into a young lady that we were we went to church with for a little while and she served and I was serving in other areas, didn't really know her all too well, but we began to talk and she said, I said, Well, you still go there? She says, No, I don't go to church there anymore. She said, My schedule. Just I can't I can't I can't go. She said, and when I do, she said, it's just not the same since the old pastor left. And see, friends, as I have conversations with ladies and men that God places in my life, it's people like this lady. Let's just call her Betty. It's people like Betty in our lives that we meet. And I have to ask the question, who is reaching Betty? Who is discipling Betty? Who is loving and encouraging Betty? Who is walking alongside of her? Who's pointing her to Jesus? She's not going to always come to God's house. Now see, this service, y'all don't have a problem with this. But statistics show us that now, that the average person comes to church like 1.4 or 1.7 times a month. Your generation was a committed generation. The generation coming behind you is not quite so committed. Are they not committed to the same things that you were? And so the thing is, the method, the message does not change, but the method should. We can't keep doing the same things the way they've always been done. We have to step out in faith. So how do we know God's will? Let me go from, from, from sidetrack to get back to where we are. So how do we know God's will? Let's, let's look at ourselves for a minute. To know God's will, it takes faith. And, and I want to simply ask you this morning, what are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your hope in? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. As Ruth went out that day, did she know where she was going to end up? No, she just went out to simply... Glean, did she know that she was going to end up in Boaz's field? And that would later play into the story of a beautiful picture. As I've already told you, you know, the decisions we make in our lives, those turning points, those, those stops along the way. They influence the future. I asked you this morning, do things in life just happen? Is there someone else involved? As a believer, I, I, I don't like the word luck. I don't like the word chance. It's not by chance that those conversations were had at Lakewood High School. But that's what happens when you show up and you don't have an agenda and you simply go in and you love people. You begin to have conversations. You see where their needs you see where there can be love given. So to know God's will, we must have faith. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 
Verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's hard for us. That's hard for me. And if we were truly honest with ourselves this morning, some of you would say that's hard for you. Walk by faith, not by sight, not by what you can see, but trusting God. Naomi got up. I mean, Ruth got up and she went to glean in the field. We know God's will through conversations. Conversations. We are to have a conversation with God. Are you asking Him, Father, what is your will for my life? Do you need to be like Brother John Cook, who was a missionary in Asia, Korea? I think it was Korea. John Cook and Lois Cook were missionaries. And even in his final days, in his final hours, as I sat across the couch from him, and I said, Mr. John, what would you tell a young man in ministry? He said, my heartbeat at this moment is to do what God has for me to do in the time remaining. That was his, that was his heart's desire. And that was his prayer. When was the last time you asked the Lord, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you need me to be doing? Are you asking Him for guidance? Are you asking Him for direction? Are you asking Him for wisdom? Most every day before my feet hit or as my feet hit the ground beside my bed, I pray and ask the Lord, give me wisdom. Give me strength. Give me focus for the things that need to be done today. Help me to be an encourager to someone you place in my path. So we know God's will through faith, through conversations with God, but also other people. You've got to have those relationships in your life where you can go to other believers who you admire, who you know that they're seeking after God's own heart, and you've got to walk in and say, listen, sister so-and-so, listen, brother so-and-so, here's where I'm at. Listen. When they come to you, listen. And see if it's of God. Help them to search His Word, to pray with them. So we go deeper in our relationships. But then, how do we know God's will? We have to receive and respond to it. I mean, the thing is, okay, some of you this morning are faithful in your attendance. Praise God. But I want to remind you this morning that you will be held accountable for each and every message that you have heard. Oh, not today, God. Too busy. Got to go to the bingo parlor. Got to go shopping. Got to see what's on sale at TJ Maxx. Any of y'all ever go to TJ Maxx, you come back with stuff you really don't need? Right? I mean, you just buy stuff because it's like, I need that. You didn't need that. Comes junk, clutter. But you're going to be held accountable. You have to receive and to respond to God's word. As we talked about last week or in the last couple of weeks, worship is not what we, what we do, but it's how we live. Are you trusting God? Are you seeking Him? Are you walking with Him?
What is God's will for your life? Can I tell you this morning that our God is so good? My family had to live, has been living this message that I'm preaching right now. What is your will for my life? My wife, Kendall, a few weeks back, she just began to sense that she's been at the pregnancy center for eight years, nine. Thank you. Always have our wives to keep us straight. I've been married 19 years. I at least know that I'm going to get that one right. But she had been at the pregnancy center for nine years. And she just began to sense from God that maybe that season was over. She struggled because she loves the women. She's the front line of those ladies that have unplanned and unexpected pregnancies. And she's seen God work in some wonderful, wonderful ways. Austin said, if fear dictates, God's will will never be done. So Kendall stepped out. She began to have conversations. She began praying. I want you to know, she called her old boss. She said, hey, can I use you as a reference? I'm getting ready to apply for some jobs. Can I use you for a reference? She said, absolutely. She said, but I got two positions that are open right now that I want you to apply for. So she put her in as a reference and she began to have conversations with putting in another application somewhere else. That's a funny story, by the way. I'll tell you what happened with that one if you want to hear sometime. <laughs> put in an application somewhere else. They called. We said, Lord, we wouldn't go there if that's what, where you wanted us to go. No, I'm just saying, if God wanted us to go there, we would. But we were like, oh, Lord, pump the brakes on that one. She had another third option. She went for an interview, interviewed her, come back probably the next day and said, made her offer. Doing God's will, being in God's will, is not always easy. It's not always for us to understand, but we're to walk by faith and not by sight. This morning, really quickly, if I could, I'm standing before you because of those decisions that I've made to walk into the unknown. You know, it's not always easy to know what God's will is. We want that sign right here. Here's where I want you. And it isn't always like that. And I've been telling you, I was going to tell you this story, so I don't think I have. If I have, maybe you forgot. Senior moment, so you get to hear it again. About a year ago, Kevin Litchfield, who is associational missionary for the Sandy Baptist Association, his father passed away. My buddy Ryan called and he said, hey, I'm going to go to the memorial service. Will you go with me? Sure. Get off, go to his house, show up. And then this other guy shows up too. I'm like, where did he come from? The other guy was Austin. 
So we rode to Monk's Corner, and we exchanged war stories, and we called up war stories of ministry, by the way. Whew, man, it's a battle sometimes. But we exchanged stories. We called up. We went to that memorial service. And on the way back, we stopped at Crackle Barrel. We ate dinner. And we laughed. We had a good time. And God began a bond and a friendship with those three men. And we loved and encouraged and cut up and joked send each other articles and challenge each other and make each other think and step on each other's toes every day. But what if I wouldn't have said I'd go with you to that memorial service? What if I never would have answered Ryan's call? You see, I think because in the life that we live as a believer, there is no such thing as happenstance, but that God is bringing people into our lives and taking us places so that His will can unfold. Friends, I don't know how long I'll be here at Bethel Baptist Church. I'm just a pilgrim making my way through. I'm just a Barnabas stopping by for a season. And however long that season is, that's up to God. Because when we sing old hymns, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. That's what we do. As I I opened this morning, I shared the story about Tony Arata. And he wrote that wonderful, wonderful song called The Dance. If you've got a computer, go home and look up YouTube and look at the video and listen to the song. You won't find Garth Brooks stuff on any of the major music platforms. He's one that's kind of held his music close to him and he won't release it, but it is on YouTube. But I want to share the, the lyrics of that song with you this morning. He sings, and now I'm glad I didn't know. The way it all would end, the way it all would go. Then there's this line, just hold this loosely. Our lives are better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I had to miss the dance. Friends, Tony Arata's theology, maybe he's not a believer. I feel like that that is theologically incorrect. That our lives are better left to grace into God's direction. And I'm glad that I didn't know the way it all would end, the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to grace and God's direction. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Friends, will you be like Pastor Austin said this morning? Will you walk into the fear, into the unknown, with an all-knowing God? Will you be like Ruth this morning and just go out to gather and to glean to provide for your family? And then it's not by happenstance that she wound up in Boaz's field. But friends, we have to admit that there is a good and great God who is directing our steps and putting us where we need to be if we will only be obedient, if we will only get up and follow, if we will only lead where He sends us. Wherever He leads us, we'll go. What is standing on the other side of your obedience? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the story of Ruth. 
I thank you for her faithfulness to Naomi. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, through the study of this series that you have shown me that the, the, the gist of this series is, Lord, that you are working the extraordinary in the lives of ordinary people. Lord, just like people gathered here this morning at Bethel, Lord, you want to be a part of their lives. You want to use them as a vessel, as a conduit through whom your glorious life-changing gospel would flow to others. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would be an open and a willing vessel that would allow your love, your grace, your mercy, your liberty, your freedom that comes from the word of God. Then may we go out and may we stand and may we make much of Jesus. May we just tell people what we've seen and heard. Lord, may we just tell them how good you are. May we sing of your praises. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we'll just think about those times in our lives. Lord, when we have had those turning points, when we've had those moments, Lord, that we, we don't understand, but we've, we've stepped through the fear into the unknown with you. And Father, we look back and we praise you. Lord, I praise you that not, that Ruth stepped into the unknown because it was through her that Jesus would come. Lord, what if she never would have made it to that field, but she did? Lord, I thank you this morning for, for in Kendall's life, how you worked. Lord, I thank you for, she picked up the phone and called her old boss. And, and it seems like you've opened that door for where she'll be for this next season. Lord, I thank you for Austin and, and Bethel as, as we got the phone call, we got the information that there was a, a team that just simply needed lunch, Lord. And we went and fed them lunch and Lord, you've opened the door. Father, help us to walk through the open doors that you have given us. Father, help us to be reminded of what your stepbrother, of what your brother James said, Lord, we have not because we ask not. And so, Father, we ask now that, that you would do a work in our lives, that you would do a work in this church, Lord, that you would just, that you would set us ablaze, that this community, that Sumter may come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because people are being discipled and they're going out and they're just spreading the gospel. They're spreading what you're doing in their lives and in their hearts. Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, if there's one here this morning who's never accepted that gift of salvation, Lord, if they're walking this morning by sight and not by faith, Lord, I pray they'd grab Austin, they'd grab me, Lord, that we'd have that conversation with them, that they can know you, know the love that you have for them, salvation that you have for them through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ through Christ alone. Father, help us to live out what we've heard today. Help us to follow you all the days of our lives. For it's in your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.